Good morning, good morning, Rabbutai. Breakfast and the class today is sponsored in loving memory of Mo Male Alava Shalom Li'ilui Nishmat Moshe Ben Jamile by Jack Male. As well, breakfast today and the class is dedicated uh, for the Rufuah Shalema of Gabriel Yehoshua Ben Le'ah, sponsored anonymously. As well, uh, in loving memory of Adele and Victor Azrak, Li'ilui Nishmatem Yeshua Ben Reina and Adel Bat Farida Alehem Shalom, sponsored by their son Marvin Azrak. And finally, breakfast on the class is dedicated today in loving memory of Joseph Juju Dana Alaba Shalom Leilu Nishmat Yosef Ben Simcha, sponsored by Elliot and Mara Atiyah. Rabotai, in this week's parasha, we read about the uh, giving of the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments written on the Luchot, handed by God to Moshe to give to the Jewish people as they left Mitzrayim. We are aware of the fact that this story takes place a short time after they've witnessed the splitting of the sea, after they've seen that God runs the entire world. They've witnessed all of this firsthand. So the level of the Jewish people at this stage are people that has seen God already at the splitting of the sea. They pointed with their finger and identified, this is my God and I will uh, beautify him. I will make him, I will elevate him. So these are not some simple people that you're referring to over here. These are the greatest, uh, as a a community, they're called the Dorde'a, which brings us some questions. But we know that they were great people and that they were spiritually very, very elevated. And yet he comes down with the Aseret HaDibrot, and you can imagine what is it that would be asked of this great and lofty people at this moment of their life, some special mitzvah, some wonderful thing, and then you read the Aset Debrot, and God says, "Look, um, Hashem Okay, that's a good one. That should go in, right? Lo There can't be any other power, any other influence. I got that. That's good. Zachor Yom Hashabbat. Good one. But then you carry on. Honor your father and your mother. What? Like how? How did that make the cut of Aset Debrot? In fact, there's a uh, opinion in the Rishonim that says that when you honor your father and mother, you do not make a beracha, right? We don't say, Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu melech haolam, Sheikh Lishan Mitzvah B'tzivanu, Lechabed ha-horim. We don't make a beracha like that. And there's different reasons why. One of the reasons that's brought down in the Rishonim is because since this is a mitzvah that it doesn't only appear by Jewish people, it's a mitzvah that the world also has in their uh, repertoire of of good deeds, people respect their father, they respect their mother, there's Father's Day, there's Mother's Day in the non-Jewish calendar, it's something that exists outside of the Jewish people, so you can't say, that he sanctified us, right? that he elevated us through this commandment, this mitzvah, if everybody has it, it's one of the answers, so the question is, why does he have, in the, but it goes from bad, like they say, to worse, because then you carry on, and what does it say on the second side of the Luchot? Lo tisach, lo tinaf, right? Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't, you know, bear false witness, don't uh, come into a courthouse and lie about somebody else to take away their money. Lo tachmod, don't be jealous of everybody. So it seems like, this instructions that are being given to these people, it's uh, it's aimed at a very low caliber of person, right? One would imagine. Uh, today I had a, a phone call I had to make. I lost my tire on the on our car, lost all of its air. 
So I called up uh, one of the roadside assistants that were uh, signed up to on my uh, on my card, you know, my credit card. And uh, and it says, you know, before it tells you about what to do, it says if you are in a dangerous situation, if you are, you know, if uh, you're in, you find yourself in danger, you know, hang up and call 911. And then again and again, and, and like four times. And I thought to myself, what kind of country am I living in? What, time, what kind of time am I living in when... You call to have your tire fixed, and they have to tell you seven times that if you think you're in danger, or if there's this you're in a dangerous situation, like hang up, you know, <laughs> right? You tell that to somebody who lives, you know, in uh, in, uh, in a in a city or in a town or in a time where there's pirates, where you know, where there's people robbing you left, right, and center. Of course, it could also be dangerous because of the. Uh, on the side of the highway for other reasons, but you know, it got to my head. I was like thinking, why do they need to say this to me? It's not relevant to me. And the same question we're asking over here. Are you asking this question to, are you asking this of the people who just received the Torah, who just saw God when you split the sea? They seem to be much more elevated and telling a guy, don't kill, right? You never get these letters that come home from your school, from the schools that your children go to. And they have all different uh, things you need to sign on that your kid's not going to do this. Some schools like they're not going to have a, a smartphone. Some schools make you sign that you don't have a TV in the house. Some schools make you sign that uh, you're not going to go away uh, during COVID on a vacation. There's lots of different things that the schools make you sign. There's never, I've never got a paper back in the mail. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just the schools my children go to. I've never got a paper that says, please sign over here that your child, you're signing that your child's not going to murder anybody. <laughs> that they're not going to steal anything from anybody, right? You know, we don't say, why is that in Aseta de Brot? It would seem beneath the average person. So <clears throat> I want to share with you uh, the answer, but I think it's a very powerful answer if we step back and think about it for a little bit. Um, there's a, uh, a young woman. She serves in the Israeli Air Force, and she's very down. And one of her friends, one of her fellow soldiers, comes to her and says, look, I see that you're very upset. You're going through a very difficult time in your life. You know, what's worked for me many times before is I've taken some time off from the base. I'll travel down to, uh, uh, to this city where they've got uh, this amazing woman. Her name is uh, Rebetzin Kanievsky. She's uh, incredibly special. She gives me such advice. I always come back so uplifted. You look down at the dumps. You look upset. Why don't you go visit? You know what? I'll even come with you. I could use a tune-up, she says. Okay. The woman says, well, I'm going to go to this area with all these religious people with black hats and peor and beards. I'm not, you know, in Israel, there's a big divide between the religious and the non-religious people. And sometimes for good reason, unfortunately, uh, both ways. Now, the truth is, Rabotai, you know, eventually someone's really upset. You give them a lifeline. They're going to try it. So she wears her down till she finally gets, uh, they get on a bus and they start driving however long it takes to get to the house of Rebetzin Kanievsky. Anyway, they get on the bus, they see this boy sitting there, he's got a gemara tucked under his arm, religious boy in the religious neighborhood, and they said, look, we're trying to go to Rebetzin Kanievsky, which stop do we get off uh, at to get, to get to the house? So the boy says, you get off right here, get off the bus here, get now, quickly. The buses are ahead, the doors are already open, they yell to the driver, wait, 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 we're getting off. They j- jump off the bus just as the doors close, Baruch Hashem. Anyway, they look around. They don't see anywhere. They, so they stop someone and they say to this woman, they were like, uh, where is Rebetzin Kanievsky's house? How do we get there from here? She says, oh, what a shame. You stayed on the, uh, you should have stayed on the bus. Another eight more stops, uh, you know, straight down the road over here. And you go make a right, make a left. They're looking at each other. Oh. 
And this girl, the soldier, turns to her friend and she says, you see, you know, I told you these people, you know, they see us, we're not religious. All he wanted was to get us off the bus, you know. I mean, non-Jewish, non-religious girls to him, maybe they're like not Jewish people. He said like, you know, get off now, get off now. Look, what kind of thing is that? She's upset, fuming the whole way. The woman says, look, you know, calm down. So there's one bad apple, you know, not everyone's like that. You know, anyway, finally manages to calm her friend down. And they start to walk, they walk maybe 10 or 15 minutes down to get to the house of uh, Revitin Kanievsky. As they get to the house, they're about to, you know, go up the stairs. They notice who's sitting on the stairs? This same boy with his Gemara. And his Gemara is open and he's studying. She turns to her friend. She says, I can't believe it. Look at this guy. He told us to get off. Now he's here. He's not even going to let us in. I don't know. We're not dressed snood enough. You know, what, what is he going to find an excuse now? She's fuming already. But before she could open her mouth, the boy stands up and he says, Michila, excuse me. He says, as soon as you got off the bus, I realized I mixed up the name of the stop that you have to get off. So when I got off at the next stop, I ran, uh, even though it's actually the bus makes a turn, I ran all the way from where it was so I could try and beat you here. I knew you were going to the Rebbe Kanievsky. They said, why did you run here? He says, I ran here for two things. Number one, I have to say I'm sorry. I caused you to have to walk when it wasn't, when you didn't really need to walk. And he says, and number two, he pulls out from his pocket. He had already counted out eight shekel and 40 agurot. They said, what is this? He says, the bus ticket is four shekel and 20 agurot. And there's two of you. He says, and I feel because I, I told you to get off the bus that you missed out on your bus ride. And therefore that's stealing. It's stealing four shekel and 20 agurot. And I felt, how could I not run back to make sure that I paid you back the money that I cost you? Um, I'm so glad I, I managed to bump into you. They get inside. And uh, this this soldier is like blown away. They talk to the Rebetzin. The Rebetzin makes them both of them feel amazing, feel wonderful. And then um, she she says to her, the, the soldier says, you know, I just want to tell you the strangest thing just happened. We were on our way here and all of a sudden this boy, uh, you know, he makes, a, he makes a mistake. He comes here, he runs all the way to make sure uh, that, uh, that, that we... Uh, that we didn't wind up, we didn't, that we that we that we found the right place. Number one and number two, that we should that he should pay us back the eight shekel on the forty agurot. And Rebetzin Kanievsky looks at this soldier and he says, "She says to her, she says, I just want to tell you." She says, "Look at how powerful the Torah is. That even in a child at the mere age of fourteen years old, this young boy, you know, nothing's going to happen to him." He made a mistake. It was an honest mistake. But he felt, he felt like I cost this person something. I have to go say I'm sorry. She says, look at how a 14-year-old can be uh, raised to the level of sensitivity where he feels like I have to make good on the fact that I cost somebody something. That's something that the Torah brings to a person when it's learned properly. What's four shekel and twenty agorot? It's like a dollar twenty. What's the big deal? But the kid felt the need to be able to go there. This woman was so impressed that although she was uh, incredibly anti and cynical, uh, she said to herself, "If this is what it produces in children, could you imagine the effect that it would have on someone like me?" And she started her journey 
to come closer to Torah and mitzvot. And I always think to myself, this boy with the eight shekel and the 40 agorot for the two and a half bucks that he ran, you know, 10 blocks to be able to return to these two soldiers. Does he know? Does he know how valuable those two dollars were? And do you know what it would have cost him if he didn't give those two dollars? Future generations of Jews, children that would be raised in Torah schools, Shabbats that would be kept, halachot that would be uh, done, and mitzvot that would be done to the best of their ability. All of this woman's children and her children's children and all the great mitzvot that they did, he bought that for a measly two bucks and fifty cents. He didn't know it was going to be. But the Torah demanded of him something. Be a mensch. Go say you're sorry. What's well, ten blocks away? Well, she's, she, she's probably going to get over it. Who cares? That's not your issue to decide. You take care. You take responsibility. Two bucks and fifty cents. What an investment, Rabotai. You know, <clears throat> I think on some level, that's what the Torah is communicating to each and every one of us. Here's the Aseretta de Brot. Let me tell you the greatest things that you could do, you know, with your life on earth as a human being. God himself is going to come and give you his commandments. What are God's commandments? Not to learn the Zohar, not to know the names of God, not to, you know, to, to fast all day, not some level of ascetism or, uh, you know, pulling oneself away. The laws of God are designed so that you should not kill someone. So that you should not steal from them. You should not commit adultery. You should not be jealous. It's to give you the tools to become a mensch. That word is a word in Yiddish. A mensch. You think to yourself that there's lots of mitzvot in the Torah. And you know what? There's some Torah people, people follow Torah, that are a mensch. And there's some that aren't. This guy, what? he's a good guy, stand-up guy. The whole point of the Torah is to mold you to the point where you feel the responsibility of being a mensch, of taking responsibility for your actions. These things that we think are small and we think are obvious in the world around us are not so obvious today anymore. And I want to show you this idea of the holiness of Torah translating in this concept. The Pasuk in Tehillim says, Yoducha Hashem kol malcheeretz. God, all of the kings of this earth, they give you praise. Kishameu imre ficha. Because they heard the words of your mouth. The Gemara in Shabbat on page 31 says, What does it mean? What, why did all the kings of the world give God uh, honor? Why? Why? What, what did they hear? And the Gemara says something magnificent. The Gemara says, they heard him say, I am Hashem, your God. Every king was like, big deal. I also say the same thing. I tell my people that I'm the God, I'm in charge. You can't have another God. They're all thinking, big deal. This God, they could all hear that. I said that they brought the world stopped. They all heard it. And what did they say? Big deal. He says that there's no other power. I say that too. You can't swear in my name. Don't take my name in vain. They're all looking at him. This king is just like us. Until he comes to kabed et avichav et imecha, their ears perk up. Honor your father and your mother. Kivan sheshameu. Once they heard kabed avichav et imecha, honor your father and your mother. Ameru. They said, 
כבוד אחרים הוא דורש. He's asking his people to honor others, not himself. He's worried about the respect and the honor of everyone else, of all the parents, of all the fathers and all the mothers, all the grandpas. All the... He's worried about them. This is a special king. All the kings recognized that they were different categorically from God, the king of the world, because of the way he cared for others. And then the whole second side of the Luchot, Kabed Avicha is the last one on the side of God. But on the second side, God is telling you, if you honor other people, that's how you honor me. The Mishnah in Avot says, Who's Ahuv Lemala? Someone who is Nechmad Lemata. Who is loved up in Shamaim? Someone who is pleasant down here. If the people love him, then God loves him. Then the Luchot continue to tell you that all the things that you shouldn't do, Uh, to your friend, don't be, don't kill him, don't steal, don't steal from him, don't commit adultery with his wife, uh, you know, don't lock him up, don't ruin him, don't ruin his business in court by swearing against him and making up false testimony, right? Don't be jealous of him, Rabotai, the Torah is telling you, God says, I'm the God of the world, I made the world, I'm the one you serve, I'm the one you respect, but my point in executing my dominion over you is not so that you serve me, although that's also the point, but it's so that you are love one another. My point is to turn you from humans to be as godlike as possible. And the very first thing that a human being needs to do, if they want to be like God, is He's worried about the honor of somebody else You know, when someone even insinuates that there might be something wrong, or someone says, oh, I know that you did that, but you probably did that because, how do you know what I did it for? You're making assumptions about me, man, I did it for, I'm gonna do it for the right reasons, I don't need this, I don't need anybody, I don't need you, I don't need the aunt. But we don't fight for other people's honor that way. If we want to be amsigula, people who are a treasured nation, Rabotai, then we need to act like God. Kevod acherim doresh. He demands the honor. He protects the honors, honor of others. Rav Aaron Leib Steinman was one of the great tzaddikim to live in our generation. Unbelievable. More like an angel than a man. There was a man whose name was Rav Diner who once came to visit Rav Steinman right before Pesach. And he sees in the corner of the room is a big drum of vat and the fat is filled with water. He asked the rabbi, what's all this giant, uh, you know, vat of water that you have here. The rabbi said to him, he said, look, you know, some people, they're extra strict with themselves on Pesach. I'm also a person who's very strict. So the law is that chametz that you find on Pesach in something, so if there's a, a tiny bit of chametz in something, less than uh, an infinitesimal amount, there's a concept of bitul before Pesach. But if you find chametz on Pesach, then afilu be'elef lo batel. What does that mean? Let's say I have a, a pes- Passover uh, uh, drink, okay? Uh, orange juice. In that orange juice, a tiny bit, tiny of, of uh, chametz. If I bought it before Pesach, and I have that object, okay, before Pesach, so if it's less than a certain amount, it's considered batel. We say it's not, uh, it doesn't count as chametz, not considered chametz. But if the chametz is found in this object on Passover itself, 
So some people, they take this very seriously and they say, you know, you drink water from the sink on Passover, you pour the water in, you know, you're getting it right now. The water's coming into your cup right now. So if someone, Bar Menan, in the water source, had dropped a tiny bit of chametz, and we say, even in a thousand, it's not batel. So how do you drink that water on Pesach? So what do they do? They bring all this water before Pesach. Once they have it already before Pesach in their house, so if there's a tiny infinitesimal amount of chametz, it's batel, and they're allowed to use it. So what do they do? They get a whole vat of water from before the Pesach, and then that's the water they use for the holiday. So the rabbi said, that's why I have this big jug of water, this big vat of water here. The rabbi said, he said, Rabbi, is this a new thing that you just picked up? He said, no, it's not new. He says, I've never seen it. I've come to you many times before Passover. First time I'm seeing it. The rabbi said, my whole life, I had this chumrah, this stringency that I accepted on myself many, many years ago. And I did it year after year. So what happened? He said, one year, my wife, by mistake, she turned on uh, the water and she used water from the sink and she brought it to me. Afterwards, she realized that by mistake, she brought water from the sink and she was so upset and she was so beside herself. How could I have done this? I can't believe it. Chametz, Pesach. I gave it to my husband. I saw how much it bothered her. No matter what I said, that it's just a chumrah, that it's just a stringency, it's not the halakha, she was inconsolable. So I told her, I decided from then on that I was never going to do this chumrah again. Just to illustrate to my wife how it was just an extra stringency and it's not a big deal. So for the rest of the holiday, I drank water from the sink. And the rest, every other holiday, Pesach drank water from the sink. And the rabbi looks off into the distance for a second. He says, but this year my wife died. And now that she is no longer here, and she no longer will feel bad if I drink water, if I drink the water from the barrel, if I show that I am keeping the chumrah. So I fell back to my... But all the years, Rabbi that he had his wife with him because she might feel upset. She might... That was enough to make him throw the chumrah out the window. Rabotai, if it was you or me, what would we have written in the Luchot? We would have written the highest levels, the highest of the high, the Chumrah of the Chumrah. But God, He knows better than us. He understands better than us the nature of humanity. He knows better than us that for many people you could have a Chumrah and for the sake of a Chumrah you're willing to kill somebody. For the sake of the Chumrah you're willing to humiliate somebody. For the sake of the Chumrah you're willing to be, to cheat in your business. Powerful. You could have on this side all the spirituality, and then the person is still not a mensch. He's still ready to kill somebody. Rabotai, I read something very beautifully just uh, uh, yesterday. It said that if you open up an egg and you find the tiniest drop of blood, you take the egg and you throw it out. If that's the case, then when it comes to your business, or when it comes to your honor, or when it comes to your life, if your life has in it the tiniest pinprick of blood, how could you use it? You got money because you hustled out some other guy and you cost them money because you hustled him out of the deal. His blood, this is his blood. This is Parnassah. You got some, a job, a promotion because you shambled the other guy in the, in the meeting and everyone realized, wow, look at this guy. Very assertive, charismatic. That job, it has blood all over it. For a drop of blood, we won't we'll throw out the egg. 
Rabotai, such uh, is the lesson, I think, that the Aset and the Broad is teaching us. <clears throat> that the greatest level of spirituality is to be careful uh, of hurting somebody else. Kevod acherim hu doresh. You know, <clears throat> I remember once reading a, a beautiful story about a family that had some great news. And right before Shabbat, they got a phone call. I don't know exactly what it was. Maybe a business deal went their way. Maybe someone got engaged. Maybe uh, they had a grandkid. And the wife decided, you know what? This is a cause for celebration. So she goes to the wine cabinet. Then they had a very special bottle of wine that they were saving for just such a special occasion. The bottle of wine was a $2,000 bottle of wine. She gets the wine. She puts it on the table opens up the bottle because if anyone knows about wine, the wine has to breathe. <laughs> the first time I heard that, I was cracking up. Was that? I thought they were joking. Like they were treating the wine like it was a member of the family, right? The wine has to breathe. Let the wine breathe, okay? The wine is sitting there on the table. They're ready to make you do. As they sit down at the table, one of the kids um, is, what's it called, is fixing the chair, fixing the chair, they start arguing with the one, you have more room than me, you have, you're have you squishing me, they pull the tablecloth a little bit this way, and this $2,000 bottle of wine tips over, spills all over the tablecloth, rolls down the floor, spills all over on the floor, and the mother feels terrible, she knows how long her husband's been saving this bottle of wine, how he's been waiting to celebrate with it, and this time, what a great opportunity it was, and now it's She's yelling at the kid and she's screaming, why don't you be more careful? Don't you know how long we've been waiting for this? This, that, you know, we, to, this, we took this out special to celebrate. On and on. Anyway, the husband is sitting there in his chair. No reaction, just a little smile on his face, smirk. Anyway, his wife says, why don't you say something? Why don't you tell your child? You know, ever see that with parents? When the kid does something wrong, each parent tells the other parent, tell your daughter. <laughs> Are you going to let your son get away with that? <laughs> when you do well, you're the valedictorian. You see what my son is doing? <laughs> yeah, Rabotai, anyway, so the father's sitting there smiling. She says, what are you smiling for? The father says, I'm smiling because I know exactly what's going to happen one year from today. Wife says, what's going to happen one year from today? He says, I can't tell you, but in a year from now, ask me, I'll tell you. You'll see. I know exactly. This day, one year from now, what's going to happen? Anyway, the wife keeps pushing him. The guy's not answering. Okay, she leaves it to have the meal. Ta -ta -ta. Time passes. Month, two months, three months, four months. She forgets all about it. Year goes by. Husband, one day, comes to his wife and he says, It's today. She said, What's today? He says, Today is a year. She says, A year from what? He says, remember a year ago, I told you when the bottle spilled that I knew what was going to happen exactly one year from today? She says, yeah. He says, I knew that you would forget what today was. I knew that you would forget that our child that spilled a $2,000 bottle of wine. You asked me then why I'm not angry because I knew what was going to happen in a year and a year wouldn't matter. Rabutai, one of the most important lessons that a person can glean uh, from the Aseret HaDibrot is the recognition um, that being a divine being is being someone who's capable of looking into the future. 
Look at the mitzvot. It always bothered me that the mitzvot on the second side of the luchot are backwards. The first one is don't kill. The second one, lo titzach, lo tinaf, don't commit adultery, right? Don't steal, right? Don't uh, steal by, you know, making up a fake court case about somebody else. And then finally, lo tachmo, don't be jealous. Surely the mitzvot should have been arranged the exact opposite way. What happens first? First you're jealous, then you kill the guy, right? That's last. First you're jealous, then maybe you decide, you know, uh, I'm gonna, you know, rig a court case against him, and then you decide you're gonna steal, you know, you're gonna steal the thing you're jealous of him, and then maybe even your husband his wife, and then finally the last thing is you kill him because you, you know, it's an escalation. Why do we start with Lot And the answer Abu Tai is what the pasuk is telling you is Chacham enav birosho. A wise person, his eyes are in his head. He can see very far into the distance. He knows that if he's jealous of somebody now, what's that going to cause? It's going to cause that he's going to go to the next level. And from there to the next level. From there to the next level. To the point where if he kills the guy, he'll come up with every justification in the world. The guy was a rasha. I think he was from Amalek. <laughs> yeah? So the Torah says, don't kill. You can imagine every Jewish person thinking, kill, I'm not going to kill. Why would I kill? I'm such a righteous person. I'm such a sadiq. But then Hashem said, and don't do, and don't do, and don't do until eventually they got to Lot HaChamod and then every Jew said, oh my gosh, I get it now. If I started there, then I give myself answers and I move up a level and move up a level and move up a level. Ultimately, the Torah wants from you to be a mensch. The Midrash says in, 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 uh, in, um, the, the Midrash in, Megillat Ruth says that the Torah begins with Chesed. It starts with HaKadosh Baruch Hu creating the world and even sewing clothes for Adam and Chava. And it ends with Chesed, with God busying himself with the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu. Tchilata v'sofa Chesed. The Torah's agenda is to turn you into that. But for many of us, we get lost in the narrative of becoming a religious Jew, and then we can forget that part of being a religious Jew is to keep the most simple, the most basic laws of decency and uprightness. May Hashem bless us in moments of upset and anger to remember the wine bottle in a year's time. May Hashem bless us to recognize that the extra chumrah that I want for Pesach is not worth it for one second if my wife will feel bad, and if you, God forbid, made a mistake, run 10 blocks for $2. You don't know the impact of that shining act uh, of morality and what it will have and what it will achieve in the eye of the beholder. Baruch